0: Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor, author and book coach. Today, I'm speaking with Amy Arthur, author of Pace Yourself, How to Have Energy in an Exhausting World. Amy is an award-winning writer and a science journalist, and she also has ME-CFS, a chronic illness she first developed in her teens. In this conversation, Amy takes us through the science-based tool of pacing, a tool developed to manage the symptoms of conditions like ME-CFS, but a tool that has so much to offer anyone struggling with stress, burnout, and mental exhaustion. This is such an important conversation, not just for writers who are managing a chronic illness, but for all of us who are juggling writing alongside other paid and unpaid work and are constantly feeling as though we never have enough energy for all of it. Pace Yourself is out now. It's a really practical evidence-based book and will transform the way you approach your time and energy. As always, the links are in the show notes. Enjoy the episode.
1: Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to chat about the book and everything else with you.
0: Um,
1: So we're here today to talk
0: about pace yourself. Um, I really wanted to start um, with the question about what pacing is exactly, but also what brought you to use pacing as well? Mm
1: So pacing is um, an energy management or activity management technique that is generally taught to people um, with my condition, which is ME-CFS, so chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis. Two very long names for something, so we just call it (laughs) ME-CFS generally. Um, And it's essentially a way of kind of thinking about what you do day to day across the weeks, months, years. And balancing it, not in terms of like the time or productivity, but in terms of the energy that things use. Um, So my condition in particular is an energy limiting condition. Um, So I have a lot of fatigue and pain and um, my symptoms are generally exacerbated by activity and overusing energy. Um, So it's something that you really need to be careful of. Um, but pacing is, um, so it was brought to ME CFS literature in 1980s, late 1980s, I think. Um, but it's also, you'll find it being talked to people who have fatigue as part of maybe cancer related treatments, um, or recovering from surgeries. Um, I think people with arthritis are sometimes encouraged to, to use some of the principles mm. of energy management. Um, but I was, uh, taught it when I was 15, which is when I got, um, ME CFS. So, I had been unwell as a teen. I mean, you know, I was one of these teens that was generally always in the doctors for something or other. I was having like water infections, then chest infections and stuff like that. Um, And I would had the same GP for quite a while and we kind of knew how to solve these problems so that I could just get straight back to school. Um, But one time I ended up with a water infection and had to see a different GP um and she quite rightly so explained to me all about antibiotic resistance and why it was good if we could try to avoid using antibiotics straight away um which is you know totally true and a fair point I think it just so happened that this was a really unlucky time in that it turned out I had um an E. coli infection Mm. um which was ended up being very dangerous I got severely dehydrated um ended up being rushed into hospital um and was treated over a just under a week um, was out again. And I was, you know, I was way better than when I was when I had the infection, but there was something that still wasn't quite right. There was, you know, I wasn't back to my old self and it took months and months of going through different, you know, possible possible diagnoses, um, lots of different tests and stuff. And ME-CFS is a really tricky one in that we don't really have yet yeah, a, a good test for it. It's more a process of elimination. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there's there's nothing else to suggest something different is wrong, but there's definitely something going on. Um, and it's a post-viral, often a post-viral condition, but it can be uh following you know bacterial infections, it can be following trauma. Um some people just get it and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um but so yeah I was I was diagnosed after um a few months of well quite a few months more more like nearly a year um, of being unwell and I've lived with it ever since. Um and they don't really have set treatments. Um there are things you know you can try and treat the individual symptoms. And I would say that pacing is, you know, it's not a really a treatment. It's not even a cure. It's not even it's not even a treatment. It's not a cure. It's um it's a way of managing your symptoms mm. in, in your life kind of going forward. Um, but really it was what I think prevented me from getting a lot worse because you know, your gut reaction when things get difficult, you try and push through, we try yeah. and keep going. Um, and that's very dangerous when you have a condition that that is worsened by exertion. Um, whereas pacing is kind of a different perspective and that it's like you have Limited energy. You still need to do these things. You still want to do things. However, we need to make sure we're doing them in a way that's going to be safe. That's going to keep you as healthy as possible. Not make things worse. Just you know, as much of an extent as we can. Obviously, things happen. Life goes wrong, and we have to deal with it. Um, but I think learning about energy and how to manage it was really what helped me go through life since the diagnosis.
0: Yeah, and of course, you've achieved a lot alongside your di- <laughs> diagnosis and you've had to as you say you've had to use pacing to make it happen but there's mm-hmm. a lot you've been able to do because of this particular management tool but um also the book i think it's really important to say um i, I know there'll be lots of writers listening who do have a chronic illness who um, perhaps are already pacing themselves but also i think it's really worth saying as well that that this book is it's very much aimed at at people who are, you know, facing all kinds of issues around energy management and not mm. just chronic illness. It was interesting reading it because I really recognized that I use pacing myself quite a lot as an unpaid carer, because my son requires so much of me that I have to be very careful about how I pace myself in order to be able to to do what I need to do for him and to keep him safe. So for instance, I have a different amount of energy in the term time as I do in the holiday time. Mm. I know that I have to scale everything back when I'm spending a lot more time with him. Um, I'm sure unpaid unpaid carers will recognize this. It's, um, a lot of hypervigilance, which the hypervigilance to keep him safe and calm and his he's constantly co-regulating with me. And so I have to keep myself regulated. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's all energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's really, it was really interesting reading it and recognising all the things that I've built up over the years um, as, as a carer doing these things. But, um, but it can apply to, to everybody in all sorts of situations in life and different life phases as well.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And what really drove me to kind of write this book was actually during the pandemic and during the lockdowns, I sort of saw people around me really struggling to adjust to Mm -hmm. all these new rules, all these new fears that they were living with, um, different situations, pressures at home. We were all, you know, really struggling and exhausted. And, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about productivity and time management and hacks and stuff like that. And I guess a lot of what I do naturally, because I've been pacing for, you know, 12 years or more, um, I sort of thought people need to understand their energy a bit better in order to yeah. like, just, just live in a way that isn't so exhausting. Yeah. Um, and so while I think it's, yeah, it's totally important when you have a kind of energy limiting condition or, or a, a chronic illness to pace yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, we all have limited energy, mm-hmm. um, Whatever the cause, whatever the reason, we need to understand our bodies and where our energy comes from, where it goes so that yeah. we can find that kind of better balance. Um Yeah, because I think, I mean, people are, are burning out, people are really struggling. And I'm, I worry about a lot of the messaging around it, which is just, you know, productivity or it's, it's kind of one or the other. Some people talk about, oh, we have to reject it completely, this idea yes. that we have to be producing. And I'm like, but actually... I want to produce stuff. Yeah, I want I want to see people. I want to do everything. I want to do. I just need to find a way to do it that works for me. Yeah,
0: I think that's so important because I think you're right. There has been so much pushback against productivity, and quite rightly, because we're not machines. Mm-hmm. But um, but some of it's quite extreme. Um, it's it's like a proper opting out and a rejection of a lot of different things, and then a lot of, a lot of judgment as well around people mm-hmm. who are trying to be productive. And I think um, you know, that sort of Often it comes from a place of a lot of privilege as well to be able Mm -hmm. to do that, to be able to opt out (laughs) of a lot of these things. So I think um, I love these more nuanced conversations about energy, about how people in a variety of different challenging circumstances can continue to do things that make them feel good in lots of different ways. And they don't have to miss out completely. They just perhaps need to do it slightly differently and Mm -hmm. perhaps at a different pace. Um, (laughs) But let's talk about the three different energies that you describe in the book, because I think it's so helpful, even though as you, I'm sure you're going to, there is some crossover, but it's so helpful to really identify those different energies.
1: Mm, I think so. So, I I mean, I talk in the book, it's all based in kind of the scientific research that I've I've done over the years and my lived experience and talking to people as well. Um, But generally, I think it's easiest to think of our energy as being used three different ways three different types of energy that we use throughout the day Um, so i talk about emotional energy mental energy and physical energy um now you know in terms of our bodies and the science all energy is kind of really subjective it's not like there's you know one pot that we've got in our bodies that we get to distribute to physical stuff and then there's another pot that we can put towards mental stuff um it's very much that you know we have our energy and we have to use it however the day demands of us but i think when thinking about what we do, we can kind of classify our activities into these three different groups. And then we can assess from there where most of our energy is going. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started actually with talking about emotional energy because I think it's something that most of us forget about. You know, we all understand that if I go for a run, if I could run, um, I'd be really exhausted afterwards. Or if I spend a day in front of the computer doing something really difficult or, you know, getting really frustrated at what's not coming out. Um, then I, you know, I'd be tired as well. But emotional energy is one that we just kind of seem to spend and, and not really recognize in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the things that I talk about as using emotional energy are like these kind of. We call them um, in the in the research generally so cycle. Call- psychology research would refer to them as like high arousal emotions so our emotions in general could be seen on a scale of like how much energy they use so you've got the <laughs> low arousal ones or low energy ones which are like kind of um, calm but also boredom you know like happiness but the, not ecstasy like there's all kind of these mm. ranges um and actually a lot of us spend especially in kind of individualist western societies we tend to focus on these higher arousal emotions we want everything to be you know massive we want to be ecstatic we want to be passionate we you know when we're upset by something we are angry we are frustrated and furious we're not you know we don't tend to spend we don't try to spend too much time in these kind of low arousal emotions Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously we need ecstasy and joy and happiness and arguments and we need all these stuff to have well-rounded experiences but a lot of the time we're kind of so busy seeking out all these things that are using a lot of our energy that we kind of don't think maybe I need to take a break from that Mm. Um, so I think it's really interesting when you start to think about the energy you use day to day you know, if you're getting really frustrated on a regular basis, you're bound to be using a bit more energy. Or if you have something really exciting going on, it is going to drain you a bit faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I took in the book about um, emotional exhaustion, which is one of the first symptoms of burnout that we tend to see. Um, and particularly in uh, people that spend a lot of their time either suppressing certain emotions or kind of putting on or acting certain emotions. Um that can be really draining. And we know that that's, you know, jobs that tend to have those things involved are where we see higher rates of burnout. Yeah. Um, So, things like caring, um, but also like retail and service jobs where you have
0: to. Yeah, frontline jobs where you're facing, you're you're either customer facing or patient facing or client facing all the time. And so you're constantly managing your own emotions in order to deal with the emotions of the person that's in front of you.
1: Mm -hmm. Or if the people around you, like you've mentioned with your son, you know, if they're going to be, you know, mimicking or feeling the same emotions you've got, which we know emotions are contagious. So, we know that that happens. Um, you know, you spend a lot of your time in in one state or being really conscious of your own emotions, it's really difficult. And you need space and time to let out either your true feelings or to let go of that pressure to feel something in particular, um, making space for that, you know, mm. like, so actually, at the moment, um, we've had a really tough start to the year in my family, and we're kind of grieving as a family. But actually, with grief, it can be so overwhelming, and you feel like you can't feel happy I can't you know I feel like I'm suppressing certain emotions because I'm grieving and actually I do need time to to let that go and 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 not you know feel pressured to to present in a certain way um but also I think with writing actually there's a lot of that you know we we have to put our emotions into our writing but it's it's really hard sometimes to kind of write about something that's really emotive yeah and it is draining I know when I've written something That is really personal or, or really emotive? I've come away and I, and I do think, oh my goodness, that's way more draining than what I was writing yesterday, which was you know more facts or or a, a totally different tone. So I think we need to be a bit more aware of our emotions and how how they do affect us and what we can do about it to sort of still you know, we don't the, the aim of pacing isn't to feel nothing or to yeah. always be in low energy states, um, but just to be aware of the things that that might drain us in our day.
0: It's such a good way of looking at this idea of high and low arousal and having breaks from the other, because of course, being in a constant low arousal state is not going to be good either, because that's mm. probably quite linked with, with conditions like depression as well. Mm. Um, and so it's I love this idea that it's all about being aware and being able to change, help yourself change that state when necessary. Um, it's super helpful. My son basically is in a high arousal state almost all the time, um, which is which is not uncommon for um, for someone who's autistic, um, and so my state is like he very much picks up my state up on my state all the time. And I think a lot of people think that caregiving is often a physically exhausting thing, but I don't find it particularly physically exhausting. It's definitely emotionally and mentally mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, but um, but let's talk about those other two states very briefly as well, mm-hmm. um, um, just so we can clarify that the mental and physical exhaustion as well.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, there is a lot of crossover and um, and emotional stuff will often take different types of energy and and things that are mentally or physically exhausting will also take, you know, emotional energy. But mental, I think, was one where I wanted to talk about the cognitive effort that goes into everyday life. So obviously, Mm. you know, trying to work out something really difficult or work on something that's cognitively demanding is going to be using our energy. But there's also loads of other stuff that we do that takes sort of cognitive effort that we're maybe not thinking of like if I've had a really demanding day and then I go and I need to decide what I'm going to cook for tea, or I need to decide what I'm going to do after, after work, you know, it sounds almost like superficial or or common sense, but actually, you know, it's, it's, that's going to be demanding my energy. And the, and we know that when people are tired, our decision-making skills are impaired. We're not going to make the most sensible decisions when we're cognitively exhausted. Um, So I think when we when we think about ourselves, you know, and what we do each day. I mean, particularly my job is very cognitively demanding. It's not necessarily physically demanding, um, but I need to be aware that even if I've sat at my desk all day, I've done a lot, and my body has used a lot of energy, um, and I do need to take breaks so that I don't kind of deplete myself completely. Um, mm. Because the longer you do cognitive work kind of the less efficient you tend to be so we do need to, to schedule in breaks during not just afterwards yeah um but yeah there's there's so much stuff that takes our mental energy making decisions um you know planning uh like anything that's um like cognitive control or um what's the word that people use a lot nowadays totally forgotten as you can tell that, like <laughs> thinking today is, is the circle yeah. for me um but it's like you know Tasks that I would do on a Monday take less energy than I do them when I do them on a Friday. Sometimes. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, you know, it it is all connected or doing it 10 a.m. is much easier than doing it at 4 p.m. when I'm like drained from the day and, and excited to kind of go and switch off. Um, and also, I think, you know, when we when we talk about our rest activities, sometimes we forget that we need to have stuff that allows our brain to switch off too. like yeah. for a while i i used kind of social media as a rest activity or i would play certain games or or watch something that's really really cognitively demanding because I, l- I like these things these are good things i'm not saying they're bad but actually i wasn't really giving my mind opportunity to rest yeah um and then of course you've got the physical energy as well which in the, in the book, I'm very clear that, you know, physical activity isn't just exercise, you know, just because you're not someone who goes to the gym every day does not mean that you're not using physical energy. Um, you know, even just sitting here talking to you, my body is having to hold my skeleton in a particular way. Certain muscles are contracting, certain muscles are relaxed. You know, my body is using my energy, um, but also walking around, you know, doing all these things, running after kids, doing housework, driving, like everything adds up. Um, And we sort of kind of feel like, okay, you know, yeah, I have to do all this stuff, but I do need to appreciate that my body's working really hard every day um, and I need to give it opportunity to rest as as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I really love that separating these out. And I think one of the things that is so helpful about separating them out like this, even though, as you say, there's some crossover, is choosing how to take rests. Um, Because if we know what energy we've overextended on perhaps and need a break from we can choose a different area to focus on and i think one of those one of those one of those great examples is um if, if you've been using your, your brain a lot and you can't make any more decisions, actually going for a walk is really restful mm. um, if you don't have to make any decisions while you're on that walk and you're not listening to something overstimulating in your ears. <laughs> mm. um, but, you know, we don't necessarily always think as exercise, like, you know, moving about as restful, but actually it can rest another part of ourselves.
1: And that's why I think when we think about rest, we shouldn't necessarily be thinking about like what you're doing when you're resting. It's what you're not doing. Yeah. I've spent all my day using my mental energy. So then when I switch off at the end of the day, I need to choose something that allows me to recoup some of that mental energy. You know, I knew like if I do want to listen to something, I'm not going to be listening to something that's related to my work or is going to make me feel, you know, oh, I should be taking notes on this. Oh, that's a great idea. I want to choose something that allows my brain to sort of switch off. And there are these kind of like mind wandering activities that you can try, um, like you say, going for a walk, doing exercise where we don't have to make decisions. We don't have to be thinking and we can let our mind wander and daydream those are really good activities to get mental rest. Obviously, if you're physically exhausted as well, then, then that's it's not worth, right, you yeah. know, <laughs> trying to... But a lot of this is just experimentation. Like,
0: yeah.
1: I, I kind of, I think it's kind of freeing when you can be like, you know what, I get to p- find out what my body needs as rest and I don't have to, you know, go and look up a list and try something that I've seen an influencer do because they say it's restful. You know, it's about finding what your body needs and what you enjoy as well. Because if you don't enjoy what you're doing you're going to be thinking about something else. You're going to be getting maybe stressed or irritated and these things are using emotional energy. So yeah. I think it is that kind of adjusting what we consider to be rest in the beginning because rest isn't just inactivity. It isn't just what we do when we're not at work. Um, you know, it's it's the stuff that recharges us and, and we need to figure out what that is really.
0: Yeah, and I um, I think bring it back to writing as well, I think it's such an important conversation because, you know, so, I mean, almost every writer I know is if they're writing a book, they're also doing other paid writing Mm -hmm. or other paid work. And they're also doing other unpaid work, of course, as well, as well as looking after themselves. So in terms of of coming to writing, that's not your main paid work. I think it's really, really interesting one, because I know I've often when I've been extremely busy and quite overstretched and low energy, um, often people will tell me, oh, well, don't put any more pressure on yourself and, you know, try and write at the same time. But actually, you know, working on a project that is at the moment uncommissioned and is coming from a place of joy and I'm Mm -hmm. experiencing flow when I'm in it is actually incredibly restful if I'm um, like physically and mentally exhausted from all of the other responsibilities Mm -hmm. I have in my life. Um, And I think, as writers, it it can sometimes be hard to explain that to people who perhaps don't have a a flow activity that they enjoy that feels to them like they're having a rest from everything else (laughs) in their life.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. And it, it is that sort of, you know, creativity can be very restful, but it's not always, you know, depending on the person, you know, for me to do some think that, you know, if I, so I crochet a lot crochet for me is, is easy. It's enjoyable. I can kind of do it without thinking that's a creative crafty activity. But if I was to try a different similar vein, you know, if I was to try knitting, that would take way more energy from Yeah, a lot of cognitive energy it. in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, it is really personal. It's really unique to us what we find restful. And and that state of flow is also really important in terms of reducing the energy demands of, of an activity. Mm. Um, and like you say, without, you know, without the commission, without the deadline and the pressure and some of the stress, you know, it's not to say it will be stress-free, but actually if it's a break from what we're doing day-to-day and what's cognitively demanding day-to-day, then it can act as a rest activity for you.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think as well um, as writers, you know, reading is such an important part of what we do, but I just switch reading when I need to switch off from cognitive <laughs> energy. So like, you know, I, I spend a lot of my days editing other people's um, book proposals and nonfiction and I have to use a lot of cogn- cognitive energy to do that, obviously. And then if I'm working on my own nonfiction So when I'm doing a lot of that, often in the evenings, I'm listening to um, like commercial fiction and a romance novel. It's just totally different. And Mm. I feel like I use hardly any energy at all because I've been able to just switch off that part of my brain and use a totally different one. Um, So it's not even about not or listen or read. Um, It's not even like about not doing the same physical activity, but sometimes it's just switching it up. So you're using that different Mm. energy, isn't it?
1: Mm. and I think what you mentioned earlier about that sort of you know if you're on a walk it's tempting to listen to something to be productive while you're resting you know or like oh I'm commuting I can use that time to listen to a podcast that's relevant to my work and actually it's like you know I get the need to multitask or the need to be productive all the time but it is beneficial if you can allow yourself to say you know what I'm going to take this as an opportunity to to replenish myself rather than as an opportunity to just do more yeah. um like when i'm doing the washing up i find washing up kind of a restful activity it sounds really strange <laughs> but i do get into that that state and i listen to an audiobook that isn't connected in no way to what i'm doing allows yeah. me to switch off um and i do find that it, it gives me that sort of sense of mindless activity movement without necessarily using too much energy yeah um but the the need to optimize can get in the way sometimes from our rest you know if you think, oh, I've got half an hour here, I should be doing X, Y, Z. um, You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to let go of that kind of the, the little person in your brain going, but you should be doing this or you could be doing that. um, And actually say, you know what? I know. I should, or I know I could, but what I'm doing here is just as important.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's such a good way of looking at it. Um, I, I, You talk in the book about this idea of vital pace. I'd love you to explain that. That would be great.
1: Yeah, so um, in terms of like when I was taught it for managing my health, what they said at the beginning was, you know, we need to go right back down to the basics. You need to figure out what you can do and what's essential for you to do before you can start adding in too much. Um, And sometimes they call it the baseline of activity. Um, I like to call it the vital pace because – Baseline kind of, to me, makes me think of like the the very least, the very minimum. Um, And it's not a very nice state to be in, like, Mm. oh, I'm doing the bare minimum. Um, Whereas for me, the vital pace is like that this is what is vital to my life. This is what I need to do. And and this is what I can do without kind of causing myself to completely burn out or exacerbate symptoms. Um, So I encourage people in the book to kind of take stock of what they what their essential activities are and what their energy has to go on day to day, you know, without jeopardizing their safety, their health, their security. That, you know, the people that depend on them. So, really thinking about what is essential to you. Um, and I sort of try and say, look, just just do your vital base pace for, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. Mm. Try and figure out what what is absolutely essential to life, where your energy has to go. And then above and beyond that, we can start working. If if you want to, you can start pacing up, which is what we call kind of adding in new things, playing around with your energy, what you've got left at the end of the day and seeing you know how much you can feasibly do. Um, but I think for many of us, we kind of, we, we say yes to things, we take on new things or stuff just appears in our to-do lists. And we've never really kind of reflected on how they got there and whether they should be there. Um, so just giving yourself the opportunity to go, do i need to do it this way do i Mm. you know if i postponed that for two weeks would it be the end of the world what would really happen um or if i delegated this thing you know i think a lot of us we we have things that we've taken on and we have a particular way of doing them and actually you know it could be that we could delegate that task to someone else but at the moment, you know, if I said to my husband, can you do this? I'd be stressing about how he was going to do it. Is he going to do it right? Is he going to do it my way? Is it going to be worse? Is he going to come to me with those of questions? You know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't really be effectively delegating because I'd just be giving him more to do and then still using my energy, stressing about it. Um, so really thinking about, can I let go of some of these things? What do I have to do? What do I need to do? Um, it gives you that chance to kind of take stock of what you've got in your life yeah. right now and and what you know what elements have found their way in without your say so um but when you have a chronic illness like it's even more important to find that that pace that that you can sustain for uh a, you know for a long time without exacerbating your symptoms without making you, yourself feel worse and it really is something you kind of have to do because if you don't you will make yourself worse, and when you get to that stage, your your baseline, your vital pace will be even lower than what it yeah, was because you haven't forced. stopped sooner, you'll
0: be, and you'll be forced to stop no matter what. So yeah,
1: that, yeah, yeah um,
0: absolutely. Um, in the book as well, you refer to the work of Paul Dolan, whose work I really love as well. I think he's got such an interesting approach, um, and this idea of um, of really being aware of what we actually do as well and like you said not allowing things to just creep in um, and accept them and don't ever think about the fact that you're taking on all of this stuff Mm. without actually reflecting on whether or not you need to whether or not you like it whether or not it's necessary and all these sorts of things um but yeah i i love his approach to the idea of a sort of doing a an accurate assessment Mm. um in the moment of whether something is giving you pleasure and purpose um and whether it's necessary to your life and um and obviously lots of things
1: are necessary but not (laughs) everything is (laughs) Mm, or you know there's things that are necessary but maybe there's a better way of doing them or you know there's some energy saving methods we could employ to actually you know not jeopardize the outcome we still get the 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 benefit but we just do things a bit differently. Um and yeah in his book you know happiness by design is a really great a really great kind of short read and I, and I really love reading it mm-hmm. I've read it several times and he talks in there about making um like noticing and, and making feelings of for him happiness I use it to talk about feelings of energy but salient so mm-hmm. we actually start you know connecting with these feelings and I think yeah. that's why it's important for, for me at the beginning of the book was to say this is what your energy is and this is how I want you to start noticing your energy mm. because we need to do that work at the start before we can then really assess. I think lots of people sort of jump into, you know, when, when we're on the path to burnout or we suddenly get a chronic illness or we, you suddenly become ill for any reason, um, you're like, okay, I have to stop and and change everything mm. without having put in that work first to, to sort of notice what what your own body's experience of fatigue, energy, pain, whatever it is that you're trying to manage um, there has to be that kind of, you know, um, understanding of yourself first before you can then start to make these decisions.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk as well about the writing of this book because obviously um, you're a freelance journalist, um, you're managing a chronic illness, um, and writing a book is always a massive endeavour. I would love to know how did you approach the project, knowing, of course, that you were taking on something quite large.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess you know the book a lot of the ideas in the book have kind of been percolating for a very long time because I've lived with this for a long time but also being a science journalist meant that I spent a lot of time reading research papers and I kind of started picking stuff up I think it was 2020 that I really started working on or or kind of collecting this information not really knowing what to do with it yet was Mm -hmm. it going to be a long form article um was it going to be something bigger um and I was very lucky to have met my agent. She was a uh, publicist before she became a literary agent, and so we'd worked together then as a as she was a publisher publicist. Um, and oh, I just kind of sent her this email. Like, I'm thinking about this this rough idea for a book. I'm not sure. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And and from the beginning, she was like a champion of it. She really saw what pace herself could be for a lots of you know at the time. I was kind of thinking just for people with my condition because that's what I knew. But she sort of helped me see how a lot of the elements could apply to other people. Um, And writing with nonfiction, um, you obviously have to write a book proposal at the beginning. So fiction seems scary because you have to write the whole thing before you get anywhere. (laughs) Um, And, and I'm, I'm sort of working on fiction, you know, ad hoc. And that feels like a very different beast. Um, But working on the proposal, I think took about a year with my agent's help. um, And that, was when I was trying to work, I was also dealing with a relapse. Like, it was very much a, a slow process and kind of doing what I could when little and often. Mm. Um, and then when we went on submission, um, I'd had a lot of um, time to think about how I was going to do it. And I, and I kind of wanted to really give myself a year to write the whole thing, ideally, And obviously earn some money and work and take care of myself too, Um, but when we went on submission, there was a lot of interest and there was a lot of people that said we kind of want this sooner if it's possible. Um, And actually, from going on submission, that was this uh, last January. So oh my goodness, it was only a year ago you were out on submission. (laughs) Yeah. Oh oh, wow. It is kind of funny when you think about having you know writing a book about you know, have living at perhaps a slower pace and not having that long to have written it. But it really was like, you know, it kind of had been in my brain for such a long time. Yeah. Um, But I did kind of give myself a few months of literally doing nothing else. Yeah. And I, I obviously that's a very privileged position to be in. I don't want to make any kind of, there was money problems, there was issues it was probably not the way I'd recommend writing a book and it won't be the way I write the next one. (laughs) Um, It's difficult, isn't it? Because even when a book,
0: you know, with a nonfiction, even if the advance is pretty decent, you know, the amount of time it takes to draw up a contract and even get that first payment. I know with my first book, I said yes to the book in July. It was due in December I had to get on and write it. I didn't actually get my first installment, my first payment until the 1st of November. And so I had been working full time on it for, you know, three, at least three months full time on it mm. because there was no choice. The deadline was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the side of the challenges of the industry in terms of finances that that is really important that we talk about because when we oh, yeah. accept, you know, a six
1: month deadline, often we're not getting paid for three or four months for that. Mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened and 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 as part of you know when when I said to um the potential editors who'd offered I said look if you want this then I'm gonna have to you know drop all of and any work I've committed to and not be able to pick any more up so I would need to see this reflected in the advance payment Mm. not knowing that the advance wasn't going to be coming for months because nobody really told me, and no, and, yes. and you you just don't know these things. I you know I was new to it all. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really tricky to manage the the finances. I think when you're doing your first book and you're not aware, and and you do have to work full time on something that that isn't sort of paying you straight away. Um, it, it was difficult, yeah, and I think that's why it was even more important that it was a book I really truly believed in. Yes. I don't know if I could have done it if I'd had doubts um Mm. yeah it's really tricky to manage and then to go from that I would you know I've been freelancing since November 22 so I'd kind of just got into into the rhythm with editors I was writing regularly as a journalist um then i'd have to say oh, i can't do anything and then mm-hmm. after writing the book you then have to go and try and reconnect and yep. all the regular stuff you were doing is gone to somebody else and that's of course um it's yeah it's not a very consistent life which is yeah you know the consistent life is perhaps one that's easiest in which to manage your energy <laughs> yeah. um so you know, maybe i shouldn't have chosen this career kind of um,
0: it's it's so challenging is it i think it's so important to talk about that honestly yeah. about those challenges i had exactly the same thing at the time i wrote my first book i was still a freelance photographer Um, and had to turn down a lot of work. And that felt really terrifying. Because as you say, then teams find other people to work with, and then all that works out quite well. So they just keep going with that person. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, huge, huge challenge. Um, On this second book that I've just finished, I've managed to do it over a slightly longer period of time. So it's been a little bit easier to (laughs) manage my other work at the same time. Um, But that's you know, that's not always within our control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even, mm-hmm. you know, second, third, fourth books, you know, things happen with deadlines and publishing has its, you know, its own its own desires in terms of when things <laughs> need to come out. <laughs> mm.
1: And I think like, you know, life also goes on, you know, when you, you've had to stop doing, you know, freelance work or whatever. But also like my life kind of stopped for that time, like all the things I wanted to do. You know, I think we'd, we'd moved house the year before, but the house needs, needs a lot of work, still does. But I kind of had to sit with it and I, I knew I couldn't take on any more because mm-hmm. I knew that if I tried to do stuff on my weekends, on my evenings, I really just would end up burning out.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: You know, I didn't, we didn't take a proper holiday because I was writing so furiously. Obviously, I, I wanted to take breaks and I did manage to take, you know, I I, I do try and prioritise that sort of thing. Um. But it, it it does it is kind of all consuming and, and that balance is really important. And even for me who's been pacing myself since I was fifteen, it was hard. So I sort of think for everybody else, you yeah. know, it must be really, really difficult. It's it's a really important
0: conversation, I think, because I think um, you know, the with the way publishing works, it can just be very intense at times, intense amounts of work, and then everything sort of goes away. Um, mm-hmm. afterwards. <laughs> um, and I think in some ways um, as well, it's sort of important to talk about the fact that sometimes when we are prioritizing our writing, it does mean that we can't do other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, I think comes back to this importance of recognizing our energy and making a decision about, well, where do I want it to go? And often the answer for writers is, well, I want the my energy to go into my writing and perhaps my family and making mm-hmm. sure I've got enough money to pay the mortgage or the rent, but actually everything else might have to, to kind mm-hmm. of wait while I'm working on this project, while I'm in this sort of three-month period or six-month period or whatever it is. Um, but I think we do have to talk about the fact sometimes we do have to let other stuff go in order to mm-hmm. be able to have the energy to write.
1: Yeah, that's it. You know, we're all working with a limited amount of energy, whether one's, you know, whether one person has got more day to day than another, that person's still got limited. Yeah. Um. And you do, you know, you do have to prioritize. And I think a lot of people, when we come to this kind of, however, this fact ends up presenting itself in life, because it always does. A lot of us seem to think, well, the decision I make now will set my life in motion for the rest of my life, you know, will, will be the decision I have to stick to. And I think, you know, we can prioritize things at different times in life. So we can say, you know what, I don't have yeah. the energy for this now. But that doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't diminish the fact that I want this thing. It just yeah. means that I have to do it later. I have to, you know, um, I have to stagger my energy in a way that makes most sense to me. Um, and I think, you know, being able to recognize the limits, but also the kind of the freeing, mm-hmm. you know, notion that. That it is mine to choose, and I can make a choice now, and I can choose differently later, and yeah. that's that's okay, and that's possible. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so true. We, no matter what it is that you do, we
0: all have different life phases where we're going to be having to put a lot of energy into different things, and maybe that's a choice, and maybe sometimes it's not a choice. Like mm-hmm. for instance, if you get um ill, mm-hmm. um, um, or someone around you gets ill, and you have to change things, um. But it doesn't. But things don't necessarily stay completely fixed. And yeah. And so it is a really, it is really helpful to remember. I'm. This is just what I'm choosing to do right now. This is what's working right now. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> it's so funny that I was reading this. This like in you know, um. I was reading this over the kind of Christmas break, because I broke my foot and my ankle. <laughs> I was reading it Um, and obviously that has kind of caused a huge amount of chaos in our household because of how high my son's needs are. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had to kind of completely change everything and it's just it's been so interesting to be reading it while I was going through that because even though I'm used to pacing and I'm used to having to really carefully manage my energy because my son's safety is really at risk Mm -hmm. if I don't, Mm -hmm. um, to put it bluntly, Um, but Also, you know, I'm so accustomed to doing so much as a parent and a carer, um, and I've been forced to have physical rest, definitely not mental and emotional rest, unfortunately, (laughs) because of how complicated it's been, but physical rest. And I'm going to have to face pacing up very carefully I've been told very strictly by doctors but also by a number of people I know who have done had a similar injury that the pacing up is going to be extremely important and I have to do it very carefully mm. um, in order to not create long-term problems um, so it has been possibly the best time I could have read this book <laughs> keep myself in line basically
1: I'm kind of happy to hear that but very sad to hear it as well um, but you're yeah the pacing up you know, like. It, it is, and everything is different, and, and it's not a case that we can say, right, in two weeks' time, I'll be at this stage, and then two yes. weeks after that, I'll be at this stage. It's really, it's not as structured as that. We can't say, you know, I'm going to go at this pace, and by X date, I'll be fine. Um, and everyone has their own ways of doing things and, and their own impacts mm. on pacing. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's also okay not to pace up in every aspect yeah. of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like there's a kind of I think goals and the, the way we work towards certain goals whether they're career or health related or any kind of want that we have um we can identify the steps that we take towards it and we can you know pace up and use our energy in in ways that will get us there but also we can stop and we can decide that I'm that's still my goal but I won't pace towards it right now yeah. but when you have something where pacing up is necessary but but doing it right is, is really important. That uses a lot of energy too, to even yeah. consider how you're going to do that. Um, especially, you know, if it's, if it's in an area where before, like if you were so physically active before, it's going to be even harder to resist that temptation. It is. And I, I think as
0: well, cause you know, one of the biggest things is that, um, I actually, at the moment, I can't be alone with my son at all with the injury that I've got, but, um, But as it's getting better, I will be able to be alone with him in the house, but I actually won't be able to be alone with him out of the house because of his safety needs. Um, I need to be able to run (laughs) and walk quickly and all those sorts of things. And so um, it's as in my particular situation, um, I in order to keep everybody safe it would be very easy to just quickly jump into it so i'm going to have to carefully manage it for myself <laughs> and be very very strict and not put myself in 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 situations where i have to overdo it but yeah it's a huge challenge um but this is the perfect companion for me <laughs> thank <laughs> you very much thank um you. but i would love to end with um i would love to hear what a couple of your favorite restful activities are for those different energies um because i think it's really helpful for other people to hear a- about about kind of ideas um, mm. that other people have for, for their different ideas of rest?
1: Mm. So I guess, you know, trying to get emotional, mental and physical rest, I don't get them all in one go. I kind of choose different rest activities that suit the different types. You know, physical rest has always been a difficult one, I think, because I, I, I can't really exercise. I've just started trying to put a few exercises into my day, very, very minimal, um, but I do use a lot of physical energy day to day, you know. Um, And I think for me, it's always been important to connect with my body in a way that is positive because for so long I had Mm -hmm. such negative feelings towards my body. You know, I really resented the body that I had, the limitations I had. And I still do sort of hear that when I'm sat on the sofa in so much pain. And I'm thinking, why do I have to go through this? So for me, physical rest is something that allows me to reconnect to my body in like a nice way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's having a, a long bath. It's... Um, using like moisturiser that makes me feel like, you know, makes, smells nice, makes me feel like I'm mm-hmm. connecting with my body in a way. Um, anything that can help me see my body in a nice light really acts as that kind of rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of mental rest, um, I really lean into um, kind of the the emotional sort of happiness and joy and, and playful activities that mm-hmm. allow me to get that sense of flow, as you were saying. So, I've started trying to do crafts that that I make sure I'm not going to turn into a side hustle. Then yes. not ones I have to be good at. They're ones yeah. that I get to just do for the fun of it. Um, so I love pottery, I love printmaking. Mm-hmm. And actually those those two activities can take a lot of energy. So I try when I when I don't have physical energy, I'll just engage with like you know lovely videos on youtube of people doing this yes. stuff and, and it's yeah. almost like that asmr i get to just switch off and, and watch this beauty unfold um oh, so, i love that i
0: love that you've got an adapted version for when your <laughs> physical energy is really low that's such a great idea
1: it's kind of sometimes i get that sort of oh i wish i could be doing that twinge but i i sort of managed to. um most of the time it, it works really well as a way to to connect with this creative side of myself that, you know, doesn't require too much energy, mm-hmm. um, and then emotional rest is a really important one for me because I really struggle with that's that's the energy type that I have the least control over with, and yes. I think most of us do. Yeah. Um. So I try to find ways to engage in these lower arousal states. Um, often so it's it's strange in that like I get a lot of sensory overwhelm mm-hmm. but when I focus on a particular sense that manages to kind of reduce that so if if I'm really if, if I've used a lot of emotional energy I'll try and find a activity I can do that appeals to one or more of my senses mm-hmm. um, so it might be something that's um, visually beautiful it might be something that smells really lovely it might be something that um, that I can listen to and sort of switch off and 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 get that state of calm. I'm not very good at meditation. I can't do it. Mindfulness, I I really can't engage with that because my brain goes too fast. I just can't stop thinking. But I found that actually when I tried mindful eating,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it was actually really worked. I was really surprised because I was focusing on the sensations. And I think as 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 a writer, you you kind of do that. You've noticed different elements, so it was quite nice to be able to do that and engage in a way that that allowed me to kind of get get some rest from a, a particularly stressful day.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love those. Um, really, really great examples of the way to think about rest because they're not necessarily always exactly what we might automatically think. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much, Amy. This has been such an interesting chat, and I'm sure so many listeners will find this just incredibly helpful and reassuring as well. Um, Pace Yourself is out now, isn't it? It's already out, isn't it? Fantastic. Um, It's really wonderful. It's so useful. It's incredibly practical as well. So I would really recommend it for everyone. And you definitely do not have to be experiencing um, a chronic illness to really benefit from this, but it is obviously incredible if you have got um, a condition which gives you low energy. So um,
1: thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me on for your kind words about the book. Honestly, it's it's so great to have something that you've kept to yourself for so long to then be out in the world. It's a very scary thing. Um, But but just hearing what people say, it, it really, yeah, it's it's been a wonderful thing.